In the middle of the 19th century, in the early days of the American Civil War, a Missouri farmer falls afoul of a rampaging band of Kansas redlegs. He loses his family and his farm and joins Bloody Bill Anderson's band of Confederates in a fit of despair. He spends the next four years or so wreaking his revenge on those bluecoats. When the war ends, the band is offered parole, but treachery sours the deal and the man is forced to run. With nowhere to go, he heads west, picking up other misfits along the way. Soon he realizes there's a price on his head and that bounty hunters have now joined the bluecoats, dogging his every move. This is the setting of today's film, as Gordon and I continue with History Month here on the podcast. While Jeff takes a holiday, we're tackling the 1976 Clint Eastwood western, The Outlaw Josie Wales, on episode 27 of Celluloid Days. They're under the goddamn ground. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? They have 500 years of democracy and peace, and what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Dallas multipass. You're stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. I don't know whether I even want to go out with Jeff again. The High Court may well sentence you to torture. Can you play the piano? I can. And sing at the same time. Listen. Hello, folks. While Jeff is away on a much-needed summer break for the month of July, I'm bringing in my spouse, Gordon, who happens to be a history guy, which means historical-themed movies. So, welcome again to History Month! This week, for our third film of July, we're heading to the post-Civil War American West for the epic hero tale, The Outlaw Josie Wales. Warning, there will be spoilers, so go watch the film and come back if you care about that. I'm looking for Josie Wales. That'll be me. You're wanted, Wales. I reckon I'm right popular. The first thing I want to point out is that alert viewers are going to recognize Matt Clark as Kelly in the group of characters in the saloon in the second half of the film. Clark played Uncle Henry in Return to Oz, which we covered a few weeks ago. Now this film is based on a novel that was sent to Clint Eastwood's production company as a blind submission. And it sat on Eastwood's desk for a couple of weeks because the cover was so bad he didn't want to pick it up. When he finally did, he knew he wanted to adapt it for the screen. Now he had Sonia Chernus write the initial screenplay and then he brought in Philip Kaufman to work on it some more. And he liked what Kaufman did so much that he asked him to direct. The film was shot in late autumn in various places around the Southwest, which, and this was Eastwood's favorite time to shoot Westerns. Pale Rider and Unforgiven were also shot in the fall because Eastwood felt that the dying leaves and the cool weather suited the tone of these more somber stories. One of the things Eastwood really liked about the story was the presentation of the Native Americans. They feel like real people instead of token color background or two-dimensional noble savages. He especially liked the humor in Lone Waddy's scenes, that's Chief Dan George. And Chief Dan George did a great job with his natural style. So they shot 
again in the southwest in utah arizona and california over eight and a half weeks and a few weeks into filming eastwood and kaufman developed creative differences one of the things they clashed over was the 19th century language style which eastwood wanted to keep and kaufman didn't like he wanted to modernize things which i agree with eastwood it would have been a mistake kaufman was also taking his sweet time agonizing over take after take and the production was starting to lag so eventually eastwood took over as a director and in the end they finished eight days early apparently there's a sequel the return of josie wales which uh, shot 10 years later in 1986 but nobody from the original project is involved with that and i have no idea about it also i want to mention like i say i agree with the language style choice and if you want to see another good film that makes good use of that try ride with the devil it's uh, oddly enough it's also about the kansas missouri conflict um border war during the civil war and it's a very very good film starring toby mcguire and jewel and jim cavazel and just all kinds of great people and uh, it's a it's a good it's a civil war story that most people don't know about they always think about the north-south conflict and they don't think about the east-west conflict in kansas and missouri and that figures big in today's film which I will now have Gordon elaborate on because he's our history guy. The historical setting for most of the film is the immediate post-war era, although a few of the early scenes actually take place um, during the war and show some of the real horrors of war and as we mentioned when Eastwood's character Josie Wales loses his family and farm to, uh, to the Kansas Redlegs. Uh, Bloody Bill Anderson who Josie joins uh, was a real person. He was a Missouri partisan leader. And this Kansas-Missouri border war, which started in the 1850s, really didn't end until the death of Jesse James in 1880. Or was it 81? Anyway, right in there. But it was a, it, it took a long time. And I've talked to Missourians and Kansans, and both of them say, oh, I don't trust those guys. Oh, yeah. And they live right on the border. Yeah, there's still conflict between Kansas and Missouri. Oh, yeah. They, they do not care for each other. Uh, and it's been a long-standing thing since the... It really goes back to the 1850s and the whole notion of uh, local decisions over slavery and the, uh, the the bloodshed that it caused Yeah, because it was a hot button. It even comes up in this film later on when Granny talks about, oh, I don't trust anybody from Missouri. Nothing good ever came out of Missouri. <laughs> and, and people who don't know history are probably wondering, what's she got against Missouri? What's the deal there? And he's like, well. Yeah, and then uh, Missourians just don't like Kansans. So there it is. For an excellent film, again, this uh, film, Ride with the Devil, that Nancy and I both worked on, is really, really good at exploring some of those differences. And so I highly recommend that if you have any interest at all in the history of our country that isn't between, you know, the Civil War between Virginia and Pennsylvania, and yeah. New York, you know, so, or really it was between Virginia and Massachusetts when you get right down to it. Anyway, it's a, it's a very complex uh, conflict and worthy of, of digging into it. It's, but this film is primarily about a man who has become used to war. Uh, he's already counted himself dead so many times that he just doesn't have anything to lose. There were a lot of battle-hardened men 
at that time. Uh, pretty much, that's the reason the Wild West was wild. Think of having thousands and thousands of guys with PTSD wandering loose. Mm-hmm. And didn't take much to set them off. So And looking to start over somewhere and try and get away from it all. Right, trying to get yeah. away from it. And yeah. then they just sort of brought a lot of it with them. Uh, and some were just, they just liked it. They discovered they enjoyed war. And so they that's what they did. So a lot of these guys ended up going to Texas uh, from various parts of the South and even from the North. And one of the original titles, in fact, was Gone to Texas. Of the of, novel. Of the, of the novel, yeah. I guess it was first the rebel outlaw Josie Wales, and then it was Gone to Texas. That confuses me because didn't you work on a film called Gone to Texas? Yes, I did, except that was about Sam Houston. Oh, okay. So it was, you know, took place 20 years earlier, 30 years earlier. And uh, so it's interesting, but but writing writing GTT on the door of your abandoned home was a commonplace thing in the burnt out South. Gone to Texas. Oh. GTT. So the Texans often call them GTTs because they were, they, they just showed up. And considering that during the course of the Civil War, the Texas frontier went eastward a hundred miles that the Comanches pushed that frontier east back east a hundred years a hundred miles they were perfectly happy to to get those those new immigrants and in fact Texas put the largest percentage of men into uniform during the Civil War and lost a high percentage of their young men so they that was definitely necessary for the expansion of that state and even just keeping what they had. It was a, a definite thing and the mention of uh, General Joe Shelby taking his Confederate diehards to Mexico was a real thing. There's even a movie about it was it uh, as John Wayne and uh, Rock Hudson in it we'll figure that out later but Anyway, it was all about that, the, the Texas, pardon me, the, the Confederate diehards who refused to surrender. So Texas was a very attractive place to men like Josie Wales. There was plenty of elbow room, and they didn't ask a lot of questions about a man's past. These borderlands of Texas were, and, and actually still remain, a pretty darn rough and, uh, a rough and tumble place. Border with what? The border with Mexico. Oh, sorry. okay. The Texas borderlands with Mexico. And uh, it was a rough and tumble place then, and it's a rough and tumble place now. It's a hard place. Violent death is commonplace. And, you know, it makes a really interesting setting for epic stories, exactly like we've seen in last week's episode of, um, of this, which was Barbarossa. Yep. Focused on Barbarossa. All right, thanks, Gordon. Well, let's get into the things we didn't like and the things we do like about this movie. Uh, There's a lot to like, but there's a couple of nitpicks, too. Uh, This is kind of theme for me in historical films, but here we go again. It's the Leeds hair and wardrobe. Clint Eastwood's hair is fine. He's got longish hair. And for the time period, that was considered long hair, having, actually, having it past his jawline like that. The hair that length was a thing amongst the Missouri yes. uh, yeah. partisans. Yeah, so that's not, that's not a problem there, um, whether by happy accident or by design, he landed right on it. Now, he, unfortunately, he, Eastwood has a habit of fanciful costuming, but it's kind of his brand. Uh, they could have done, but, you know, again... 
I buy his jacket that he's wearing as loving hands at home, something he fabricated on the, on the run. It's fine. It's 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 just fine. I also appreciate the fact that he doesn't tuck his trousers into his boots. Everybody wants to tuck their trousers into their boots and look like a caballero or whatever. And it's like, not everybody did that. So they could have done a lot better, though, with Sandra Locke. Um, she's cute and everything, but she's not wearing a chemise, a corset, a drawers. And that, I mean, she's just basically wearing 1970s clothes. She looks like she's wearing Jessica McClintock gunny, <laughs> gunny sacks, sacks outfits. Absolutely. And that 70s hair. I could almost have forgiven her terrible clothing if they had done her hair better. But it's just 1970s hair with the bangs and the and the feathering and the layering. Oh, yeah, the Farrah Fawcett. Y- yeah, type. it's like Farrah Fawcett without hairspray. It's... It's just, it's annoying. It's just, it's the, really the only thing that really annoys me about this movie is Sandra Locke's hair. Well, they didn't have hairspray in the Old West, so that was Yeah, but they also didn't do bangs and feathers, <laughs> and if you were over the age of two, you didn't wear your hair down. So, yeah, anyway, um, that's okay. That's okay. It's, it's minor, but annoying. I did also did not like the spoilers the betrayal at the surrender slash parole at the in the first part of the film i get it that it's the first plot point and it sets things off for the rest of the film but it's really over the top it's really melodramatic and that kind of thing just did not happen it you know the north knew they were going to have to live with all these people so this kind of treatment would probably not have been a really good idea to kick off the post-war period. And, and it's, I mean, Gordon will back me up on this. I just don't think that kind of thing happened. Well, there were a lot of hard feelings. Oh, yeah. A lot of hard feelings, as we were just <laughs> discussing. They lasted yeah. 160 years so far. But, uh, yeah, the, uh, this is sort of like the burning of the church in the Patriot. Yeah. Uh, no. It's there for drama, and it's there as a plot point, but it's just, like, what are you doing? Anyway. Uh, my third bullet point on things I didn't like were that some of the locations are, a lot of the locations are obviously California, and obviously not Missouri, but that's so typical of Hollywood, and that's fine. They, they did a good job of trying to get the feeling of the different places where they were supposed to be, but... Yeah, seeing the, the Manzanita bushes in yeah. the background kind of threw it off for me. <laughs> and there's, you know, the river that they cross is obviously like the Sacramento River with the levees and the things. Yeah, a little different from Missouri, but not, a, you know... It's okay. Not significantly so, so it, it wasn't too bad. I'm... We've seen a whole lot worse, that's for sure. So, Gordon, I'm sure you also have some nitpicks about this film. Yeah, uh, you bet. (laughs) A lot of the costuming is, as noted, um, a little fanciful. Uh, Much of the garb of the Confederate bushwhackers is its way to Army of Northern Virginia, for my taste. There was, in fact, one bit with uh, one of the older Confederates wearing a, a Confederate butternut colored shell jacket specifically artillery an artillery sergeant where on earth did he get that and why because it was in wardrobe <laughs> yeah i guess so now it does make a really cool shot where you've got this the the arm and shoulder of this fellow showing the butternut and the red chevrons and then you're looking forward you know through that to see this union sergeant with the blue jacket and yellow sergeant stripes on his i mean that's a neat contrast but a little bit 
unreal. Now, there were a couple of really nice touches on the wardrobe, like the embroidery on the boy's war shirt, which uh, was actually a very common theme among Quantrell and Bloody Bill Anderson's men. And I did kind of like the slapdash un- ununiformity <laughs> of the Red Leg Cavalry. They, they were nominally in uniforms, but only, only barely. And uh, probably spot on. But there were a few of those things which did stand out, which took away, at least, at least for me, a little bit from the film. I definitely agree the surrender scene was way over the top. Massacres like that of surrendering troops eh, it tends to be looked down upon by civilized people. Even in time and places of a civil war, you know, if you've won and you're done killing, then it's time to stop killing. If you're not done killing, then you keep going. Don't eat, don't let them surrender. But that's that's just a, a decision for the. It's just bad writing. Yeah. Uh, however, what it did do was it did a really good job of establishing establishing Josie Wales as um, a man who doesn't put a lot of trust in Union troops, especially Kansans. And it also shows what an outstanding horseman and pistolero, pistolero Josie Wales is because he just rides in there shooting. He's got his, was it, six pistols on him? And um, he uses those to excellent effect. Uh, now, why nobody can hit him is, of course, you know, the big question. But he's he's invincible, and it does a really good job of showcasing something that's going to come again later in the film. So it's uh, it's it's pretty cool there. They use a fair number of what I would call anachronistic firearms and saddles in the film. Okay, so I'm the historian, and I'm into these things. Specifically, they have a number of supporting actors using cartridge conversion revolvers, which are about five years early. Uh, And certainly you wouldn't have seen amongst poor people out on the wild frontier. Everything should have been the older cap and ball stuff that was common in the Civil War. Uh, Could even have been some, some even older stuff floating around. But these cartridge conversion revolvers definitely look different. They're definitely not the usual stuff you see in Westerns. And at least there weren't any obviously wildly out of place cult peacemakers and Winchesters like most of the John Wayne movies had immediately after the Civil War. Sorry, you guys are, you know, like a decade off on that one. But uh, I'll give the, the armorers some, uh, some kudos on not doing that. There's a couple of scenes later on showing the 1873 Springfield trapdoor rifles, but since they were normally a conversion, again, of earlier cap locks, I'll give them, you know, it doesn't take away from anything. But they do show early on a lot of these very period cap lock rifled muskets uh, used heavily, extensively during the Civil War and stuck around for a long time. It's even got the Comanches using them. So I thought that that was a good touch. They're not using these sawed off little things. They're using the full length rifles. Uh, I'm gonna add a fourth thing to this, an addendum. And here's my pet peeve here of Eastwood choosing these huge Walker Colts for Josie's primary handguns. They're enormous things. And they only made like 1,100 of them ever in the original period, and uh, most of them were issued to Texans and stayed in Texas. So 
you know, Mexico and Texas. And so they, they weren't real commonplace at all. On the other hand, it does make for some serious cinematic effect. These things are enormous. They packed an enormous punch and um, were in fact considered pretty much the equivalent of a carbine in power and accuracy. The, uh, they were replaced by a slightly smaller version the cult that's called a dragoon. It's called just the the oh, the army model. Replaced at the time. by whom for whom? Uh, replaced by the army and by Colt, oh. Colt's manufacturing company. Um, re- they replaced the the Walker Colt with a smaller dragoon model. It's not a lot smaller, but they it's somewhat smaller and definitely slightly different looking. And they also made like thirty thousand of them instead of a thousand of them. So. Uh, they did issue some of those in the Civil War. They made them up until 1861, so they they were not an uncommon thing. And again, they were big, heavy things that would have been certainly available to somebody like Eastwood. Yeah, I think the implication is probably that he picked them up along the way during the war, because he certainly didn't have them to start out with. No, no, no. Yeah, he picked them up, and now where he would have gotten them is a a good question. But, you know, there it is. so it, but it's it's that's just a real nitpick, and I can I can definitely see the cinematography, behind, the rationale behind it because they are a very impressive looking firearm, um, and I love the holsters he's got. <laughs> you a bounty hunter? Man, he's got to do something for a living these days. Diane ain't much of a living boy. Okay, so those were our nitpicks. Now we're going to talk about things we actually liked. For me, I basically liked the entire supporting cast a lot. I love Lone Waddy, played by Chief Dan George. I like everything about him. I like the way he looks, and so did Eastwood, which is part of why he hired him. I like his character arc. I like his dialogue. I like that Chief Dan George was a master of deadpan humor. I, it just, it's a great character. He's a, he was a legend. I like Grandma. When we first meet her, it feels like, oh, she's going to be a shrinking violet and all prim and prissy. And she starts out a little prissy, especially when they first meet her in town. But you know what? She's got a core of iron, and she, when the going gets tough, she steps up. So I like Grandma. I like Fletcher, who... Josie Wales rode with during the war, and then he ends up basically being press-ganged into hunting him with uh with captain terrell i just like john vernon's voice for nothing for no other reason that man had a voice and he he really does a great job with that character i almost wish he hit wish he had more screen time my second point is i like the portrayal of the native americans in general we've already mentioned this now i'm no expert but it seems like they were pretty accurate with their with their material culture and their mannerisms and whatnot they're they are portrayed as real people with their own culture but and they don't whiteify them into blandness so i have a lot of respect for that my third point is i generally like the horsemanship in this especially eastwood is obviously a good horseman there's some stuntman things which I don't like, where the stunt guys were obviously more concerned with looking cool than the well-being of the horses. But, you know, and there was also one of those typical tie your horse to the hitching rail by the reins moments, which I hate because you never tie a horse up by the reins. That's what the lead is for. But I only noticed that once, so I'll give it a pass. 
There were some really well-trained horses on this project, and it's nice to see a lead actor who can actually ride. So what about you, Gordon? Well, not only was the supporting cast great, but I really liked the names that they pulled out of history for these guys, too. Uh, Lone Waddy, Ten Bears, Senator Jim Lane, Bloody Bill Anderson. These are all real people. Um, they're now set in a fictional story, but they're, they were actual people who walked the earth. And again, yeah, Chief Dan George was a hoot. Uh, <laughs> what can I say? And I did notice that I, w I was looking at some behind-the-scenes footage, a little documentary on the making of the film, and Eastwood calls him Chief. Always calls yeah, him Chief. Always calls him Chief. Yeah. So, um, the second point, in, just like in Barbarossa, I enjoyed the realistic, in ethnically diverse cast of characters in the film. Uh, which much more accurately portrayed the West, especially Texas, in the 1860s. In this case, it's the Indians. Now, my friend Ted George, who is a distant relative of Chief Dan George, always called himself an Indian, so I'm going to go with that. And Ted was also really good with deadpan humor. Indeed, even the, the Mexicans were sprinkled into the cast, just like in the real West. There was Indians and Mexicans, along with the white people like John Wayne. So it wasn't as... Um, <laughs> wasn't quite as white bread as most westerns well even the the saloon gang in the second half of the film in this mm -hmm. they've it's kind of a bomber crew cast you've yes. got you know the white hooker the whore and then a couple of other white guys and then there's the mexican guy with his with his short jacket oh, yeah. and his conchero you know concho trousers and the things and the stuff and, and, so, and also the with the old world um uh, demeanor. Yeah, the and gentlemanliness the demeanor. Yes. and the sort of elegance of that culture. Yeah, I it's or it's it's really nice. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that was that was really good. Um and uh you know the best part about that to me was that it was to make the story more accurate and not trying to make some kind of point. Yeah. It was this is this is how it was. Boom boom boom. Okay, moving on. Yeah, no, no, none of our modern-day checkbox casting and checkbox, checkbox, superficial diversity right. nonsense. Right. They had real diversity in this. Yeah, and they were definitely had different cultures, and they were. Oh yeah. You know, had different reactions to things. It was it was really well done, and and the whole, the whole scene with ten bears was really really good. I thought. Oh yeah. It's really fascinating, and it, part three talking about the horsemanship there was some really phenomenal horsemanship in that film East, eastwood knows how to ride he's really good on a horse um <laughs> i doff my sombrero to him is uh uh he also obviously practiced a lot with his six guns um he manages a couple of period six gun tricks that you know they're not hollywood you know 20th century inventions these were ones that were actually used and when he spins these things around you know he's handing them over oh his border first. roll yeah his border a border roll. roll with 
walkers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that takes some wrist power. You know, yeah, I, I, I've done it. I can do it. Uh, it takes some. It's wrist. the moment when the guy asks him to hand his pistols over, but first, yeah. and I, you can see he's got his finger in the trigger guard. And you yeah. know, and if you're a gun person, you know what's coming. And whoop, he just flips him around. I used to be able to do it with my Colt Army. I don't know if I could do it now. But yeah, <laughs> it, it, with a long barrel, it actually makes it better because those you things can just really sort swing of swing around. up. And now the moment of them, you know momentum etc it, it's going to take a little while for one of those big five pound revolvers to swing around but but eastwood's a big guy he's, he's, he was a big guy he's got some big wrists on him so. yeah 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 so he could do it and it was that was really really cool that was really cool so um anyway i i like those things okay let's go on to our ratings um for historicalness i gave it a seven out of ten because i had some nitpicks what did you give it? I gave it an 8 out of 10. There are some nitpicks, but the overall arching, you know, film to me had a lot of, of truth to it. A lot of, mm -hmm. of uh, veracity in that there were men who were being hunted down over their actions during the war. And there always are. I mean, you know, with World War II, there's a bunch of people being still being hunted for that. Yeah. Um, for real or imagined, we, we don't know. I, I guess I knocked a point off for Sandra Locke's hair. Yeah, that, that was worthy that. of an entire point. So. Well, she is just bugs me. To me, she's a totally minor character, even though she, she is kind of major. But eh, I like the horsemanship and the shooting. So uh, for the story, I give it a ten out of ten because I just think it's a good hero story. I give it a ten out of ten. Also, yeah, it is a wonderful hero story, and the whole concept of. Um, a man leaves town, you know, yep. and these are his adventures along the way. He gathers together his bomber crew, who he's riding with. Yep. And, um, you know, there's there's tragedy. Oh, there's, there's a lot of tragedy in this film. Um, you know, his first riding companion dies on him. You yeah. Know? And, you know, the boy and it. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff. One of the best lines in the whole film is when he's talking with T Chief Dan George. I guess we ain't going to see that little Navajo girl again. Oh, I guess not. I kind of liked her. Then it's always like that. Like what? Whenever I get to liking someone, they ain't around long. I notice when you get to disliking someone, they ain't around for long either. So, as far as user ratings go, went over to Rotten Tomatoes. Luckily, this movie has been out long enough. And unlike uh, Barbarossa, Rotten Tomatoes has figured out that the movie actually has been released, which Rotten Tomatoes couldn't figure out with Barbarossa. The film is not yet released. I'm still shaking my head over that one. Anyway, uh, it, it's got a pretty good score. The critic score is 90%, and the user, store, user score is 91%. There are a lot of reviews. There's a lot of people who love Westerns and they love this movie, and there's a lot of people who don't get it and are trying to make an apple into an orange. So I just picked one of each because everything was sort of of a piece. Anonymous, of course he's anonymous, gave it one star, and he says, quote, I'm a big Clint Eastwood fan, but this movie was just not good. And he went on and on and on and on. And it's like, I'm not going to give him any more airtime. Uh, a lot of the points he brought up were just 
obviously taste issues. He just doesn't didn't like this film. He didn't understand the history and he can just sit down. Pear J gave it four and a half stars out of five. And he says, quote, of all the Westerns, both with and by Clint Eastwood, the outlaw Josie Wales is probably the very best. His character even has a name and the plot is based more on actual history than the typical Western myths, unquote. And he went on and on too, kind of a little too much in the positive direction. But I, you know, he makes a good point. And it was nervy of Eastwood to make this film at a time when Westerns were out of favor and not fashionable. But I think it had a hand in bringing them back. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing the marquee up for weeks with this film. Yeah. Theater showed it for, for weeks. Oh, this is back in the day when they did that. You know, now we've got home video and streaming and everything. And people go see a movie once and they decide they like it. So they go buy it. And back when we were kids, if you saw a movie that you liked, you had to keep going back to the theater if you wanted to see it. And hope it was still there. And hope it was still there. So I think the last film I remember really doing that, and I'm sure there were some subsequent ones, but when Stargate came out, it got panned by the critics and they poo-pooed it. And then people went to see it in droves and it got word of mouth and it basically got user reviews. And all of a sudden, I remember in Vallejo, California, that thing was in the theater at least a month. And I was really, really surprised. But yeah, it was bringing people in, so they weren't going to let it go. So that was, uh, those were the days. So who do you think would like this film? Obviously fans of Clint Eastwood. I think fans of films that portray Native Americans realistically. Fans of Westerns right after the Civil War. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, if you like Civil War history, especially the frontier Civil War, uh, this is a really good one. Again, it, a little more fanciful than, say, Ride with the Devil, but it's still... It's all right. It's still a good one. Yeah. And to finish out History Month, we're going to do another Western. Woohoo! Pin it on. Pin it on who? On me. Oh, come on, Rose. You must be pulling my leg. I think it's a wonderful idea. For the woman marshal, Oracle will be the hit of the Western dime novel. And what bad man would dream of shooting a woman? We have a Facebook page, and it's called, naturally, Celluloid Days. Please join us there to comment and discuss the films we cover. We're also on Twitter, at celluloid underscore days. We're always looking for film suggestions, and the more strange and unusual, the better. Our email address is daysofcelluloid at gmail.com, all one word. Feel free to email us for any reason, even if it's just to say hi. Be sure to leave us a review wherever you get this podcast. It will help others find the show. Thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back next week for our fourth film for History Month. And since... It's the fourth film of the month. It's going to be a Rift film. So we're going to do Mystery Science Theater's take on Gunslinger, the Roger Corman Western starring Beverly Garland. See you next week. They're under the goddamn ground. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? They have 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Dallas multipass. 
You're stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. I don't know whether I even want to go out with Jeff again. The High Court may well sentence you to torture. Can you play the piano? I 